that exciting just to think about the ramifications of that opportunity. Um, we have um, a couple of ladies in our church who are, who are intimately involved with this ministry. And uh, Ann and Pat, are you guys in here? Oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm going, I don't see them. Why don't you stand up? So you'll know who they are. Pat works with Child Evangelism Fellowship, and Ann's been involved in this as well. And they'll be in the back, and if you'd like to talk to them, you have questions, I know you'll want to find out how you can pray, and maybe if you can help in some other way. And so just keep this, hold this up in your prayers and pray if God might be laying it on your heart to get involved and to help in some way. So... That all being said, let's turn in our Bibles now to Philippians chapter 2. Throughout chapter 2, Paul has been explaining and talking in this book about joy, about how central to joy is the idea of understanding how we are created to be connected, how we are designed to function in community, that working together and sharing is so important to us discovering really what life is all about and living lives that express that joy that God wants us to have. As he exhorted them about it, instructed them to continue to work for this, as he presented Jesus as the example of the one who gave of himself completely, didn't hang on to his divine rights, but instead emptied himself and became one of us. And as a result, this glorious elevation of Jesus, whereby he shares heaven with us and we become related to him. Well, now as we come to verse 19, Paul gives two examples to them of guys that they knew really well. Guys who they were connecting to or would be connecting to in a great way. And really, what Paul is doing here is giving them graphic illustration of what a real partner, a real friend really is. He, instead of trying to explain philosophically all about what friendship is, he takes these two guys who were so special to him. Timothy, who was probably Paul's best friend, and Epaphroditus, one of their own, a guy who had come from Philippi and was ministering to them and on their behalf. And as he talks about their lives, we see kind of an exciting, I think, idea in a very practical way of what a friend really is, of how people who live like this and who become like this can function very well in partnership as a team, as a family. And so a lot of lessons, though most of us don't know Timothy or Epaphroditus, yet I think each one of us has people that God brings into our lives that we could point to in that way and say, that's what a great friend is. But also, I think most of us would love to be the one described. We'd like to be the kind of people that other people say, that's someone I can depend on. That's someone who's a true friend. We all need that so desperately because as he laid out for us earlier in the chapter, we are designed to function together. Not one of us is a solo act. We're a part of a team. And teamwork depends on being friends. 
And so here, as Paul talks about two of his most special friends, we learn a lot about what friendship really is and how we can be a friend and how we can recognize friends when we see them. And so, well, I should explain, Timothy was a guy who we know a lot about because as Paul's best friend, Timothy had probably accepted the Lord under Timothy's ministry, but he had been taught by his mother and his grandmother from when he was a little boy about the Lord. Timothy was half Jewish, his mother was Jewish, and his father was a Gentile Roman. And so he grew up kind of in a divided household, and yet mom and grandma really grounded him in the things of the Lord. His name, Timothy, Timotheus, means someone who honors God. And, you know, a beautiful image of how his life developed. He ended up after he probably met Paul and maybe accepted the Lord on Paul's first missionary journey. But after that, he was pretty much with Paul everywhere we see him, including at the time this was being written, he was with Paul there in prison in Rome. In a Roman prison, they didn't take care of you. You were up to, you know, you were depending on your friends coming and supporting you and feeding you and clothing you and everything else. Otherwise, you would just sit there and die. Timothy was a guy who was just right there, didn't have to be, chose to be there with him. Paul, as he writes his book, so often he mentions Timothy as being with him, and, and the letter is coming also expressing the heart of Timothy. We see that in the beginning of 2 Corinthians. We see it in, here in Philippians and Colossians and First and 2 Thessalonians in, let's see, oh, in Philemon in the beginning. All of these books start out with a greeting from Paul and Timothy. It's interesting that the book of Hebrews, which I believe Paul wrote, never mentions Paul's name in it, but in the last chapter, one of the reasons why I think Paul wrote it is because he's obviously very close to Timothy and mentions Timothy in that book. Now, on top of being in the introduction of six of Paul's epistles and, and being mentioned in Hebrews as well, there are also two epistles, First and Second Timothy, that are written to Timothy by Paul. And so obviously he has a prominent place in Paul's heart and in Paul's life, and we know a lot about him. He was an amazing guy. On the other hand, Epaphroditus, who he starts talking about beginning in verse 25, was a guy that the only thing we know about him is what we read here in Philippians, here in chapter 2 and then over in chapter 4 he's mentioned. But Paul tells this story here in chapter 2 of the fact that the Philippian church, in wanting to help Paul, had sent Epaphroditus to Paul with a gift to help support him. Epaphroditus stayed there and ministered to him and risked his own life to do so, was so sick that he was, they thought he was going to die. And the Philippians loved Epaphroditus so much that Paul said, Epaphroditus was really upset that you were upset that he was sick. And he goes, he was sick, you were upset, you were, he was upset that you were upset, and I was upset that he was upset that you were upset that he was sick. And you see this connectedness and this closeness, but now Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi, where he was no doubt from, with this letter. And so Epaphroditus is the guy who's carrying this note along with him as he goes back. Timothy, with a beautiful Hebrew name of honoring God. Epaphroditus, he has a very Greek name. He's named after the goddess Aphrodite, 
or as the Romans would call her, Venus, the god of love, the god of lust so often. And Epaphroditus means someone who's, well, it's, it's Aphrodite and the prefix epi, which can mean against, on, connected to, supporting. And so it's like, here's someone whose parents were committed to supporting lust. And yet this guy somehow accepted the Lord and God turned his life around and was using him in a powerful way in Paul's life and, and would in the church in Philippi. So let's read about these two guys as we go through this passage. First of all, beginning in verse 19, Paul says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state or your situation, your condition. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus." But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. And now in verse 25, yet I considered it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. But your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the most eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem or honor. Because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. So two great friends, two best friends. We see as we go through the passage several indicators as to what this kind of a friend is really about. What a person that you can count on and depend on. What are the sort of traits that you look for in finding and discovering that kind of friend? What are the kinds of traits you need to develop within yourself in order to be that kind of a friend? As he's talking about Timothy, first thing I want to point out to you is that friends like this are pretty rare. <laughs> talking about Timothy, he says, I have no one like-minded. The word there for like-minded is the word suke, which means your soul or your innermost being or who you are, but it has a prefix on it, iso. It's isosuke. The, the word iso in the Greek is a, is a word that means equal. That's why an isometric exercise is an exercise that the force given out is equal throughout the motion of the exercise. So he's saying, he is isosuke. He is a soulmate. He is someone who matches me, can represent me. We think alike. We care about the same things we feel alike. Nice definition, really, for, for being friends is to find someone who's connected at the soul, someone who their immaterial part of their being is, it matches up with yours. And so, but he's saying, I don't have anyone that's like this. And so we need to remember that friends are rare. 
and Paul knew that. Paul had a lot of people he knew. Paul had a lot of people who ministered to him at different times. But he says there are certain ones, like Timothy, like Epaphroditus, that are worth mentioning because they are rare indeed. There are some people who think, you know, why well, have tons of friends? I'd suggest, really, if that's what you think, take another look because it just might be that you have tons of acquaintances. But in reality, it's not possible to have a ton of friends, real friends. Usually we start out thinking we have friends and events happen in our lives that cause us to lose our friends. And so often we mope about the fact that, oh, I've lost so many friends over going through this trial. In reality, it's impossible to lose real friends. All life does is show you who your friends are. You discover your real friends by the process of elimination. But Paul is saying, no, these guys are rare indeed. So what is it that makes them that way? He says, uh, first of all, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. The idea that these guys stand out because they are sincerely caring pretty much presupposes the fact that there are a lot of people out there who may care. There are a lot of people out there who certainly represent themselves as caring, say they care, act like they care. But he said, no, Timothy has this rare quality that he really does care. There are a lot of people who will say, hey, I'll be praying for you. But how many of them are really praying for you? I hate to tell you this, but probably not everyone who says that. How many people who say, man, I'm so sorry for what you're going through, really are feeling it with you, really are connected to you in such a way that their care goes beyond just a, oh, bummer, you know, stinks to be you kind of a thing, to, to move on to a point where, man, I am affected by what you're going through. Uh, getting past the formality, getting beyond just the casual words that we have with everyone, and again, I am not suggesting that you need to be this way with everyone. If you just have this passionate you know, connection with everyone, you might not even be able to function. But everyone needs some people who really do, you know they care. You know they are going to care. You can count on their caring. And when they say they care, they mean it. When they ask you, how are you doing? They don't want to hear fine. Now, most people, when they ask you how you're doing, they just want to hear fine. But there are those rare individuals who won't accept fine as an answer, who take the time to be with you and to say, no, really, I really want to know. And then you go kind of, you sure? I mean, you, do you really want to hear this? Because I can just say fine and we can call it a day. But there are some people who really do care. And, and you can tell when that happens. And it's important to look for that, to see those who sincerely care. And not to get bummed out about those who don't. Those who aren't that sincere or those who really don't care, that's okay. They aren't your friends in the deepest sense of the word. Those aren't your soulmates. Those aren't the ones who are linked to you. But boy, how important it is to connect with and to relate to those who sincerely care, those who really do from the heart are, are interested in what other people are going through. Now, there's another thing that 
I want to point out to you as well, in, as Paul points this out, and he says, you know, I don't have anybody else like-minded who will sincerely care, but then he says, for your state. Now, that puts it in a different realm in a way. Obviously, Paul loves the fact that Timothy cares for him, but what really gets to Paul is that Timothy cares for them, for others. Depending on who you are and where you are and what you can do for people, you'll find a lot of people coming around you who wanting to convince you that they care about you. But the real measure of a person isn't whether or not they care about you because you can't really tell. If you want to know what someone is really like, see how they treat other people. See how they care about other people. Oh, one of the easiest ways to spot a phony friend is someone who tells you that they are totally loyal to you, but they think everyone else is a jerk. And at first, that feeds your ego. It's like, man, this person doesn't like anyone, but they like me. Uh, I don't think so. It's just, they're probably doing the same thing with other people. Someone has said, if a person isn't good to a waiter who's waiting on them, they're not a good person. If you want to have insights about people, don't look at how they treat you. They're putting on their best appearance in front of you. They just may be afraid that you're going to do something against them or do something to hurt them. The way to really judge character is to see how people treat other people who don't have any way of helping them. It's so important for us to observe that and to see that because Paul said, you know, what I love about Timothy the most is how he cares about you guys. And that is where the deepest friendship happens, when you see someone who cares about others. I have people in my life who, I, like for instance, Pastor Ken, Ken Krikak, who's our family minister here, is involved with children's ministry and men's and couples and does the bulk of our counseling and things like that. Ken is someone that I've always felt ever since, for years, when he worked for me over at Calvary Costa Mesa, I always felt like Ken liked me. And I can't help but like people who like me, people who laugh at my jokes, people who tell me, boy, you're great. But I appreciate, and I appreciate having Pastor Ken here at our church because I think he likes me. But the real reason why I love having Ken here is because I know how much he loves you. I see him on a daily basis reaching out to people when maybe I don't have the opportunity or the time or whatever to do it. I know that people who I love, he's going to be loving them. And that's kind of what Paul is saying about Timothy. Paul's going, it's not about me. It's not about who can elevate me the best. It's, it's not. Like Jesus said, I didn't come to be ministered to but to minister and so he goes, the thing I love about Timothy, and this is someone you can count on as a friend, is because they love other people. If they have a heart for other people, you can bet they're also going to have a heart for you. And so that's the first thing that he points out about friendship, is sincerely caring for, for people, really being touched by people and what they're going through. Then in verse 21, he says, well, he kind of points out a couple things that have disqualified most people that he knows from this status of close friendship, he said pretty much everybody, for all, seek their own selfishness. 
you don't want to be close friends with someone who is selfish. Selfishness is something with which we all struggle because every one of us kind of sees the world through our own grid, through how we look at things. Everyone thinks that they are right. But there is a selfishness that takes over someone's life and absolutely destroys them. In psychology, they've come up with a title for a disorder that they call narcissism. It's a, it refers back to the story of Narcissus who fell in love, looking in the reflection in the pond, fell in love with how beautiful he was, how good he looked, and ended up dying there, just staring at himself. Narcissism is seeing the world as if you are the center of it. Narcissistic people filter everything through what works for me, putting myself first, building up my own self-esteem. And in its chronic forms, narcissism will end up completely isolating you. Now, typically a narcissist, friends are very important to them because someone needs to cheer them. Someone needs to help them. And so quite often narcissists spend their lives buttering other people up so that they will look good also. But what a narcissist does is as soon as time gets tough with one of their fans, they dump on them, they cut them to shreds, they want to destroy them because now they're not doing their part, glorifying me. Narcissists constantly go through friends. They always have a bunch of people that, they're, that are their toadies, a bunch of people that come along and will shine the spotlight while they are shining. But narcissists ultimately completely destroy every relationship that they're involved in because it's all about them. There isn't that concern about others. And ultimately, if you have a desire to shine in the spotlight, to stand out among everyone else, people start to figure that out and they start to resent it. And Paul says, that's the problem that most people have. They care more about themselves than they do about others. They're looking out for how they can help themselves, and hey, if somebody gets helped in the process, well, good for the little people. It's great. But ultimately, a selfish person can't be a friend. And if you see people who love the spotlight, who love the attention, who find out where their last friends went, and if they tell you every friend that they've ever had how bad they were, how they're glad to be away from them, they're glad you're not that way, it's like if people come to me and start talking about their past churches, or when I hire people, they start talking about their past jobs. Now, I understand that people have problems wherever they are, and, and that's an important thing to acknowledge, and sometimes that's just the truth. But there's something within me that honestly loves to hear that, man, those other churches, they're really bad. This one's not like those. And so it kind of feeds my sense of insecurity and, and builds me up a bit when people just tell me all the bad things about wherever they've been. But I also make a note of it and go, you know what, someday they're gonna be saying that about me. It, it's just true, I've lived long enough to see it happen over and over again. And that's that selfish, narcissistic thing whereby you propel yourself, you love to be up front, you love to be in the spotlight, you like to be the center of attention. But as soon as somebody does something that offends you or rocks your boat, it's like, okay, you're out. Anybody else, I have applications, need a new friend? You know, 
do you want to support me? You know, it's that idea of saying to someone, you know what, we've talked enough about me. Why don't we talk about what you think of me now? (laughs) (laughs) But Paul goes, a good friend doesn't seek, seek their own. They don't have that psychological need to be elevated. If they do, you can't count on them. You can only count on them to continue to do what they've always done, and that is to be selfish. He goes on also to say, they all seek their own, not the things which are of Jesus Christ. A person who is a real friend is someone who really cares. It's someone who's not selfish, not thinking of themselves and promoting themselves all the time. But not only that, we see here that there's somebody who puts Jesus Christ first. Sometimes people who put Jesus first are kind of weird. And you kind of think, man, I don't know, somebody who's so sold out to Jesus, they seem kind of, they can tend to be sometimes real legalistic or just kind of oddball or you feel like you can't have fun with them. But when you put Jesus first, that's not what Jesus wants to do. Jesus certainly wasn't that way. But the truth is, when people put Jesus first, they will sometimes get kind of weird. Because it takes some time as you develop in your growth with the Lord and get closer to him and, and, and just realize, oh, I'm free. I, I'm not living by a set of rules. I'm not, Jesus isn't ready to crush me. And so you have to work your way through it before you can put Jesus first and still be pretty normal in a way. And so as a result, sometimes we just push away people who put Jesus first. But in reality, you can't have a real friend unless there's someone who puts Jesus Christ first. People who don't put Jesus first, it again traces back to their selfishness. But being devoted to the Lord and to serving him is something that gives you the basis for true relationship, for true friendship. Because he is the one who is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is the one who is our ultimate friend. And as you grow closer to the Lord, it should help you to grow closer to his people, not further away from his people. But in selecting friends and in trying to be a friend, put Jesus first. Decide that what he says is the way that I want to live my life. And I know I'm not perfect, and I'm going to stumble and fumble and work my way through some of what it means to put Jesus first. But if there's something more important to you in your life than Jesus you'll never be the kind of friend that God really wants you to be. You'll never be the kind of friend that other people desperately need. And so again, Paul says, a lot of people I know, they don't make it as friends, either because they're too selfish and certainly because Jesus is a priority down the list in their lives. Now, as he goes on talking about Timothy, he says, you know his proven character. A good friend is someone who's proven themselves. It takes time to earn friendship. It takes time to develop the character and to establish it in such a way that really now you know that someone can be trusted because they've shown themselves to be trustworthy. And he said, Timothy has done that. You know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. And so we see a friend is someone who's family. He said, he's like a son with his father. We are connected. 
He won't bail on me. He won't disown me. We're family. And we serve. We work together. This is another really important aspect of friendship. There is no better way to connect with people and to discover friends than to serve God together. As we share our common passion for his people and as we share that heart of wanting him to be first, it's so incredible when we can get together with God's people and actually do stuff for others. Be involved serving God. Best place to find friends is serving God. Being connected with them. That's how Paul and Timothy grew close together. They worked together. It's why it's, we've had so much fun as we've moved over to this new building and seen so many people coming and doing little things and doing big things and helping out. And we've all chipped in. And it's like, man, I am feeling closer to some people than I ever would have otherwise, not because we sat down and had these deep talks, but because we both, out of a common devotion, maybe carried something to the trash together or saw something happen whereby a ministry is unfolding and developing and we could be a part of that and we're excited about what God is doing. It's serving. And so Paul said, hey, you know Timothy. He's a guy who is family and we serve together. We work together. Now, if you're not serving God, if you're not involved in any sort of ministry, you'll never have real friends. And I'm not saying that because, oh, I want to get you involved in doing something in the church. I'm not talking about just doing things in our church, although I think this is a great opportunity to serve. But if you think I'm being self-serving, I would suggest you get involved in some other ministry. If you think I'm trying to get you to, oh, give money so that the church can do stuff, give your money to some other ministry. It doesn't matter. What I'm saying is, if you're not serving God, you'll never meet those people who will serve God alongside you, who will get involved next to you. And if that happens, you'll lose friends. You'll lose opportunities to have friends because friendship is built within service. Now, as he goes on here, finishing up his discussion of Timothy, he says, therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me, but I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come shortly. He goes, man, as much as Timothy means to me, I want him to come and see you guys. Because if I can't see you, he can represent me. He can do this. And he said, hey, I hope I get to come and see you myself. And now as he goes into his discussion of Epaphroditus, I was checking the time and my clock here is upside down. So let me <laughs> it, it says it's SH6, but... <laughs> That's actually 9.45 in, <laughs> on your planet. <laughs> See, I'm going to have to learn to finish somewhat on time because with three services, that'll be a real test. So, or I'll do what I do on Wednesday nights, just stop mid-verse and go, we'll pick it up next week. <laughs> Epaphroditus, as we see what's happening with him, and we see Paul describing him. It's amazing how similar the descriptions are and the characteristics are. Talking about Epaphroditus, he says, you know, I'm sending Epaphroditus to you. He's my brother. Again, he's family. He's connected. There's, an, there's a, a common origin and there's a common loyalty that happens. 
We're family. He said, Timothy's like my son. He goes, Epaphroditus is like my brother. Probably Epaphroditus was a bit older than Timothy. And, you know, I have people come to me and say, you know, I feel like you're my father in the faith. And I'm like, come on, am I that old? I mean, <laughs> so that's probably what he was doing with Epaphroditus, but he's going, he's family. And then he calls him a fellow worker. Again, how did this intimacy develop? How did this friendship develop? Working together, serving God together, not focused on let's get together, the two of us, and let's pick each other's brain and let's grow close. It's like, you know what? I love the fact that when I get with you, you go, hey, let's go do something for someone. Because Paul had the sense just like Jesus, look, I'm not trying to make more friends for myself, but I'm trying to reach people who really need help. So if you want to come along, let's do it. And it'll be a great growing time. But he was my fellow worker. He expands on that a little bit, though, too. <clears throat> and he says, and my fellow soldier. And this gives us some insight into friendship as well. Because if you're going to work together, sometimes you're going to fight together. Now, so often we would think if you're going to work together, you're going to fight against each other. And so we go, you know, good friends really need to know how to have knockdown, drag out fights. And that happens sometimes, but that's not the essential element. The essential element to friendship is that if I'm in a fight, you're on my side. If I'm in a battle, if I'm struggling, if I'm having a tough time, I know that I can trust you to watch my back, to stand alongside me, to be a partner in the conflict. Common enemies will sometimes be the things that will allow us to discover how dedicated and devoted we are to others. A partnership that's built around a common opposition. And he goes, man, with Epaphroditus, we went to war together. I guess all of us as friends have to decide at some point, if my friend is in a war, am I going to run or am I going to let him know? that I'm on their side? Or am I going to kick them while they're down? That's something that can happen too. True friends say, hey, if you're up against it, I'm with you. I'm going to help you through this. I am going to battle with you. And there will be battles. You better believe it. Satan is out there trying to destroy everything that God is trying to do. A friend says, if we're picking sides, I'm on your side. I'm going to support you. If you're wrong, if you're messing up, I'm going to gently let you know that as I would let know one of my fellow soldiers who's doing something wrong, who's stepping into something that they shouldn't. But I want you to know I'm on your side. And Paul felt that way about Epaphroditus. As he go, goes on discussing Epaphroditus further, he talks about Epaphroditus ministering to his needs, and yet we see the heart of Epaphroditus as he says, he was longing for you all and was distressed. And this whole thing of Epaphroditus, it's, the, it's a beautiful picture of what Paul was saying earlier, that a real friend is someone who sincerely cares, who really gets involved with others whose heart goes out to them. And, and Paul loves this, that Epaphroditus loves the Philippians, that he really cares about them. He appreciates that, and as a result, it makes them close. And as he relays this whole thing, he goes on to tell them down towards the end, verse 29, receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness. You, guys, you ought to enjoy, you have a friend like him. 
and hold such men in esteem. Give them, give them credit, give them glory, because for the work of Christ, he came close to death. Remember earlier we said with Timothy, putting Christ ahead of everything else was such an important element. Well, Epaphroditus was a guy who put Jesus ahead of even his own life. As you read on there, he says, not regarding his life. That word for not regarding his life is a word, well, there's a word paraboleo, which is a word that came to refer to gambling. It's the root word is that you're holding things loosely, but, but a parabolani was someone who made a living as a gambler. And what Paul is using in the vernacular of those days, he's saying the guy gambled with his own life. He put his life on the line. Now, how much more loyal can you be? How much more of a fellow soldier can you be than to say, you know what? I would rather die than to hold back in what I can do for my friends, into what I can do for my Lord, into how I can serve him. Paul chided the people in another place because he said, you guys are whining about all your suffering and you haven't even shed blood yet. You know, and, and so often, what is it that drives us away from friends? Probably not someone holding a gun to your head and saying, if you be, either you betray your friend or I'm going to blow your brains out. But a real friend, even if that were the case, would say, I'll take my chances. I'll risk my life because that's how much I care about you. And so, again, Epaphroditus one who gambled with his own life. Sometimes being a friend involves risk. Sometimes it means you take a chance at losing the friendship because there's something that they need to know and someone has to tell them and the wounds of a friend are faithful and it's better to take it from a friend than to take it from an enemy and so you take that risk and as God works through that and the person sees the love and the concern that you have for them, you can work through that and the risk pays off. Other times, you take a risk and it may cost you a friendship. But if it costs you a friendship, it really didn't cost you a friendship. It just pointed out you didn't have the friendship that you thought you had. So a real friend is someone who will take chances, who will put their life on the line for you, ready to jump right in alongside you. Hey, if you're going, I'm with you. Whatever it is that you're doing, you're not gonna do it alone. Risking our lives. Now, which of us wouldn't want to have that kind of a friend? Someone who's selfless? Someone who's so rare that they're a soulmate to us? Someone who serves alongside of us and puts Jesus first? Someone who we can always trust them to be beside us if we're in a battle, they're watching our back? They would risk everything in order to preserve us because they care about us that much, how many of us wouldn't want those kinds of friends? And I hope that as we're going through this description of Timothy and Epaphroditus, I hope that people are popping into your head and you're saying, I do have a couple people like that. I do have some people who are that close. Maybe they're members of your family, maybe members of just your spiritual family but I hope you all have someone that you go, yeah, you know, they're not perfect, but it kind of fits, and it's great. 
But another question is, how many of you are the ones who might pop up in somebody else's mind when we're having this discussion? Is there anyone who could say that you have been this kind of a friend? Proverbs tells us that if you want friends, you need to learn to be a friend. And so the order of spiritual development for us is look at this blueprint for friendship and say, what kind of a friend am I being? And then go, now I'm going to pick my associations in such a way that those people to whom I entrust myself are people that show these kinds of traits and these kinds of values and these kind of characteristics. But there's a greater picture, and we saw it earlier in the chapter. And the thing as I go through these characteristics that I'm totally blown away with is how we all have at least one friend who is this way, and his name is Jesus. Because though people may fail us, and though we may struggle for years never having a soul connection with another person in quite this way, yet he is the one who really cares, who risked his life, gave his life for us. He's the one who will always come to our defense. He'll always be battling alongside us. He said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He really cares. He wasn't selfish. He emptied himself in order to save us. And again, Jesus just is the perfect example of someone who wanted to be close to us, who wanted to be family with us so much that he became a man so that he could be our family and so that he could start this new family, the church, and work within us and say, that's my body. That's who I choose to identify with is us. And as he was this type of person, not craving the spotlight, not selfish, but in such a selfless way, said, I came to help others. And then he served. He washed the disciples' feet. He served them dinner. And he said, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this with me? And he says to each of us, will you serve alongside me? He said to Peter, you love me? Don't tell me. If you love me, feed my sheep. Start to serve those I care about. Don't tell me how much you care about me and don't show me your love by just always hanging out with me. Put me first. And what that means to me is serve those who need me the most. Go to those who have that need. And Jesus said he'll be with us as we do that, as we serve him. And you've discovered, if you've ever served the Lord, the greatest thing about serving the Lord, oh, it's neat to be with his people, but it's incredible to feel God's presence as we're serving him. As we're serving his people, we realize we've just connected with God in an amazing way. And that's the kind of friend that Jesus is. And whether you know it or not, whether you even know him or not, you have this kind of a friend. You really do. Now, I want to encourage you to be that kind of a friend. I want to encourage you to open your eyes to find those kinds of friends in your life. But I also want you to realize you have everything that you need because you have a friend in Jesus. You have one who has shown us 100% how to be a friend. He's befriended us when we just didn't deserve it at all. And he has been proven. Please, if you don't know him, if you have never connected with him, 
Give your life to him today. He wants to meet you. There will be people down here in the front of the church who would love to talk with you if you need prayer for any reason. But especially, if you would just like someone to introduce you to the best friend you could ever have. If you're here today and you feel like you don't have a friend in the world, you do have a friend in the world. And his name is Jesus, and you can meet him right down here. So after the service, come on down. Find a man or woman down here who will love to pray for you and to introduce you to your friend Jesus. And it's only when you connect with him that ultimately you'll begin to discover what real friends are. And you'll begin to have those human connections that God wants you to have that are centered on those who put Jesus Christ first. Putting him first because he shows us how to be friends. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for befriending us in as extreme a way as we could have ever imagined for loving us so much that you gave your life for us. Lord, I thank you for the Apostle Paul. What a great hero of the faith he was, but I thank you that you allowed him to connect with Timothy and with Epaphroditus so that he could outline for us Here's what human friendship in Christ looks like. And God, I pray that you would help us to live this one. To be these kinds of friends, to look for these kinds of friends, and to connect with you as our true, ultimate friend. I thank you that you chose to call us friends, and that you showed us what a friend does. God, if there's anyone in here this morning who in their heart they're feeling this aching emptiness because they don't know if they've ever connected with someone who's this kind of a trustworthy friend God I pray that you'll help them to meet you today and that meeting you would open the door to meeting others and to discovering how life is supposed to work as we function together as a family as a body Lord, don't allow anyone to leave this building this morning without a friend. You did everything to reach out to them. Help them to hear your voice by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.